everyone, and welcome back to the show. You're listening to Firearms Cafe. I'm your host, Tony Brown. Today is Sunday, the 23rd of December, 2012. This show is part of the Gun Rights Radio Network. Podcasting freedom. One show thingy at a time or something like that. I don't know. Hey, buddy, what you got there? It's my iPhone. I'm listening to my shows. What's on here? Yeah, that's pretty neat. Yeah, I'm pretty good with computers and stuff. So you downloaded them using iTunes? No, I'm using Stitcher. M-O-O-N. That spells Stitcher. Oh. Well, how does it work? Well, I don't know. Magic, I guess. I see. Did Uncle Pete put that on your phone for you? Yeah. I watched Spongebob yesterday. (laughs) He he and Patrick were selling chocolate. Before we jump into the show, let's get our contact info out of the way. You can contact me several different ways. I have the voicemail, which is 206-745-2731. Or you can go to the website, which is firearmscafe.com. And on the right-hand side of the page is a send voicemail tab. If you click on that, it'll let you send up to a 10-minute message to me using your computer's microphone. You can also record an MP3 or a WAV file and email that to me for the show. If you're not really comfortable with audio, please feel free to contact me via email and I'll read out your comments on the next show. The address for both audio and email content is firearmscafe at gmail.com. Again, that's all one word, firearmscafe at gmail.com. I also have the Facebook listener page, a Twitter account, and a YouTube channel. There are buttons for these at the website as well, so please go over to the site and click on those buttons and like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, and subscribe to me on YouTube. These are all free. Finally, there is the forums at Gun Rights Radio Network where I have a Firearms Cafe subforum. I really look forward to hearing from you. What we're going to talk about on the show today is some of the aftermath of the shooting in Connecticut. And I wanted to talk about a few things, some of which are going to be, what do I think is going to happen with uh, future legislation? Do I think any future legislation is going to come at all? I want to talk about the NRA speech, what they did, how they did it. Do I, did I think they were successful? Do I think that, uh, that they weren't? And before we talk about that, though, we need to sort of take a look and understand the culture that we live in today. And most of you guys that listen to this show are part of the Second Amendment culture, and a lot of you would consider yourself uh, maybe conservative. There's probably some Democrats out there. I don't know how many, probably very few. The majority of people would consider themselves to be conservative rather than liberal, Probably a large number of you are like myself, would consider yourself to be more, much more libertarian in viewpoint. Some of you out there would be anarchists in that you don't, in that you believe that all interactions between people should be voluntary and that there should be no use of force and then force should not be used to uh, get things the way you want. 
But I think if we if we really look at the culture that we live in today, the vast majority of people believe that it's the job of government to take care of everyone. To take care of those who can't take care of themselves. To do the greatest uh, good for the greatest amount of people. And some of those people, a lot of those people that believe that, aren't on welfare, they're not taking assistance. But they do have a, a belief that if hard times ever did fall upon them, that the government should be there to take care of them, to meet their basic needs. So really what they see is, is that the government or the state, however you want to say it, phrase it, the state is the parent. And if we say that, okay, that those people believe that the state is the parent, what is the job of a parent? And from my perspective, of course, the job of a parent is to teach your children between right and wrong, to teach them to try and be good people, to teach them it's better to love than to hate, and to teach them as they grow up, to become more and more self-sufficient. And eventually, good parents will let go of their children. And they'll let their children go out and make their own decisions and lead their own lives. And if they make mistakes, they make mistakes. It doesn't mean that you don't ever help them. It doesn't mean that, that you don't lend them a hand. But you understand, as they grow older, and as they reach into their adult years, they're going to become responsible for themselves. And ultimately, there's nothing that you can do as a parent to make those decisions for them. But the state is different. The state says, nah, 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 nah. I, you are all our children. We're all in this together. And I, as your parent, am never let you go beyond childhood. You're always going to be a child. And so therefore, I always have to do what's best for you. There are certain things that you can have and certain things that you can't have. And because you cannot fully understand the ramifications and consequences of your actions, I will... Make sure that you don't get hurt. I'll make sure that you have to have licenses and permits and that you can prove to me, the parent, that you're responsible enough to do these one or two little things that I'll let you do. Now, a lot of people, of course, wouldn't phrase it that way. People believe that, uh, look, the government's it's a fallback, it's this and that, and, you know, they do know best on a lot of things, and uh, if you don't have regulations and permits and fees and taxes, well, then they'll just be anarchy, and anarchy in the, in the uh, worst sense of the word. There'll be chaos, and the, and the strong will prey upon the weak, and corporations will run rampant. Well, we kind of have that now. 
with all the interference. So it shouldn't be too surprising that when something like this shooting happens, that the media, who's pro-government, pro-state, and that the vast majority of people who are pro-government and pro-state cry out for the state to do something. And they cry out to lay the blame on an object or on a situation or on a ability because they can say, well, I can take those things away. I can lock those things up in a box. We cannot make those things. We can take those things away so that that doesn't happen again. If your kid eats too much cookies, you either don't bring cookies in the house or you put them someplace where they can't get them. So again, it shouldn't surprise anybody that people are crying for their parents to make it better. When what they should be doing is saying, this terrible thing happened. Who's to blame is the, the person to blame who, who we should focus our gaze upon is the guy that did the shooting. And that's who we should blame and that's who we should punish. But a lot of times in these cases, you can't blame, well, you can blame them. I misspoke. You, you can't punish them because a lot of times they've killed themselves. You can in a, in a, in a small way. Again, if you're one of these state people, you can in a small way give some small amount of responsibility to that person, but not much. It's, it's, again, we, we live in a culture, it's not your fault. It's somebody else's fault. Somebody else did something or made something or allowed something to happen. And that's why this terrible tragedy took place. But it wasn't your fault. It's the fault of this other organization. It's the fault of this other company. It wasn't a decision that you made. And there's, realistically, there's only so much we can get accomplished by trying to, to get that philosophy out there, that, that you need to take responsibility for yourself and for your actions. And if you have certain actions, that there will be certain consequences, and you will be the one to pay for them not the public at large. But again, people in this country have abdicated their responsibility for so long, and most of them truly believe that it is always somebody else's fault. Also, you know, uh, another thing is, is most people, the vast majority of people out there, are not directly touched by true violent crime. The vast majority of people haven't been beaten or assaulted or haven't been shot or stabbed. The vast majority of people, and I don't mean things like they haven't had their house broken into, I mean like true violent crime. The vast majority of people haven't been kidnapped and held against their will. The vast majority of people in this country are relatively safe. So again, it 
it leads credence to their argument of you don't need a gun for defense. You don't need a gun. The police are there and they can take care of you. So anyway, let's kind of, uh, let's change subject here a little bit or change direction. And I want to talk about the, uh, the NRA speech. Now, I understood why they wanted to come out and sort of just make a statement and weren't going to take any questions. I, you know, you see that a lot. Um, do I think that was a smart thing to do? I don't know. Uh, probably not. Maybe, I don't know. So do I think that the, the, the speech was successful? Did it succeed in, in doing what it wanted to do? Or did it fail in, one, in, in, in what they wanted to do? And I can only sort of go by my perceptions because I don't really know ultimately what their goal was. For the most part, though, I think that the speech failed. And the reason why, and I'll, I'll give you the reasons why. But before I do that, let's, let's talk about where I think he succeeded. I do think he succeeded in trying to get the idea out there that, look, this stuff is going to happen. It happened. It's going to happen again unless we actually do something. And we could have done something before, but we failed to do that. We failed to do and uh, what, we, what we needed to do to make the school safer. Putting up a sign doesn't make anything safer. Taking Saying that you can't bring guns in here doesn't make it safer. And what we should have done in the past was we should have put options and plans and things in place that if there was another attack on a school, we would be able to meet, uh, to offer resistance. So in that regard, I think he, he was somewhat successful. But I think that he failed in a lot of ways because what he did was he did things that the anti-gunners do to us. He blamed objects, and he blamed ideas. He blamed video games and movies. I, th I think he was right to blame legislators, and he was right to blame a culture of, of fear of guns and fear of gun owners. But the vast majority, and he, and he also blamed... And you out there may or may not agree with me on some of these things, and that's fine. But he also blamed the mentally ill. Clearly the person who did this and the other people who have attacked schools and, and, and gone on and basically murdered people at random, clearly they have something wrong with the wiring. But the vast majority of many mentally ill people, what we would consider under the definition of mentally ill, do no harm to people in general, at large, I guess I should say, just as, as the vast majority of gun owners do no harm to anybody else. And they don't use their firearms in a, for lack of a better term, in an illegal manner. 
But what he did when he started blaming and naming things like video games, saying that we needed to have a a database of the mentally ill, I and when he started doing things like he blamed the media and said it's your you know the it's your fault for not allowing a discussion. Well, I you know again I don't know that I necessarily buy into that. Uh, but especially with the video games and the movies, millions of people watch violent movies on television. Millions of people play violent video games, and they don't go out and commit these atrocities. And much like how we often say, well, if it was the fault of the gun, if just owning a gun turns you into a callous, uncaring person that will willingly violate the laws of our society, if that were true, millions of people would die a day. So I thought that 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 part of his speech was not very well thought out. Uh, Also the idea of having, again, a database of mentally ill who, you know, it, it... It smacks of things like the no-fly list. It smacks of things like the the watch list, the terrorism watch list. You know, you're a person of interest. It smacks of things like the NDAA, where you can be detained without due process. Also, the idea that you, you want Congress to enact and appropriate whatever money is needed to place police officers or train security, as I believe is what his actual words were, in the schools. I mean, we don't want government doing anything. We want to do this stuff at local levels and, and have solutions and actually have a good discussion. But I Again, I, I think he succeeded in some things. The, the vast majority of stuff, I, I thought he failed at. I thought that he could have brought up places in the United States, like Utah, where you have concealed carry permit holders are able to carry in public schools. I thought that he could have brought up things like he said, look, in countries like Israel, where there is terror attacks that happen all the time, um, and, they, they, and schools were targeted. And what they did to stop that was that they armed their teachers. And I thought that he didn't really do those things. I thought that what he did was he tried to play the blame game and tried to reduce the amount of the spotlight that was on the NRA by trying to focus it on video games and entertainment and mentally ill. So in, 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 in some instance, he did offer a solution, but he only offered up sort of one solution. And he only offered up sort of one option. And I thought, now I don't, I wasn't, like I said, I, was, I wasn't able to hear the speech when the, uh, I think he was a former congressman uh, or former representative came in and he was talking about the school shield. And I'm not exactly sure what all that entails. Uh, But what I thought he should have done would have been to say, look, what we need to do is we need to have armed 
personnel there, whether that personnel is police, whether that personnel is teachers, whether that personnel is faculty of the school, people that work for the school, whether that personnel is people that are parents that volunteer and get training. And, uh, you know, heck, if you wanted to deputize them, uh, you know, but have them go through the proper training. But I also think he should have brought up other things and, and said, okay, look, we have a thing called continuum of force or, or um, you know, when the, when the police are trained and, and back in the day when I was in probation and we were, we had uh, levels of force that you could use. So when is it time to use the pepper spray? When is it time to use a baton? When would it be time to use a gun? When is it time to, you know, put your hands on somebody, that type of thing. And I thought what he could have done is said, well, these are some options of the levels of force and these are some of the use of force that the faculty of school should be trained in. So he should have said guns are one option. Tasers are an option. Pepper spray is an option, uh, both the, the aerosol and the foaming type. So if somebody came in with a, uh, a gas mask, like what happened in, in, the, in the theater, if you hose somebody down, it was the foam and it occluded their vision, maybe that gives you time to, to react. Um, I would have liked to have seen him talk about things even like non-lethal ammunition. If that's a way to get something, a firearm, into a school where you're using you know, the rubber bullets or the beanbag things. And people will say, well, look, that's not going to stop him. You need to put that guy down. A lot of times in these situations when the people meet resistance, and they may not know, a lot of these guys have not been shot before, so if they get hit with a rubber bullet or a, a big beanbag round, it's going to hurt a lot. And they may think, it's over for me now. And they may at that point, which we've seen in a lot in the past, when they hear sirens, when, they're meet, when they meet resistance, they, a lot of these guys will kill themselves. I would have liked to see him talk about, and these are obviously these are ideas that I have, but I would like to see have seen him talk about body armor for teachers. There was the case of the, the teacher that shielded her students with her body. There was the case of the principal who charged the guy. Had she had body armor, had she had maybe a level four plate that's going to stop rifle rounds, maybe she could have got to that guy, engaged him, and tied up with him, tackled him, brought him to the ground. And even if he was beating the hell out of her, at that time you have the other teachers, and this is we're having a, a plan, you have the other teachers would come in and subdue the guy. These were a lot of things that I thought he should have talked about and that he didn't because he, I think, was more concerned with saying, let's blame these other things too. Uh, and I, I thought it was... Again, a lot of times the way that I try and look at things is I say, okay, well, if if the situation was reversed, if I was in that, or if I'm going to blame a video game, is it the same thing as the other people blaming a gun? Uh, now, kind of more, uh, again, like I said, a lot of these things that I've talked about, of course, were my ideas, and I'm sure none of them are new, and I'm sure other people have talked about them. Um one of the things that seems like the plan is for the schools is that the schools go on lockdown. And what they do is they, they lock the door, they turn off the lights, 
and to get people up against the corner. And I guess the the logic behind that is that if the person comes by and he sees that the classroom is dark and he doesn't see any movement and it's quiet, that he'll move on to another classroom, maybe thinking that that one is empty. Or if he tries the lock and he can't get in, he'll move on because he wants to do more damage. Well, the guy is at a school because he knows school is in session. He knows all the classrooms are filled. So he'll do what what the guy in Connecticut did, which is he'll shoot through the glass or he'll shoot out the locks and he'll come in. If the plan is time is to buy time for the police to get there and you're doing that by locking down the stool, school and locking down the classrooms, I think what you should have is like the uh, like they used to have on the old castle doors when they would bar the doors. You know, you should have brackets and a couple of and a couple of uh, uh, either steel bars or or wood in there or something that basically stops the door from being open, so that even if he shoots out the lock, he can't physically get the door open. There need to be things like, if they're on the first story, the second that they hear that is that they don't just cower in the corner. They have an exit plan to get away and get away from the school. For upper stories, you could either have ladders or or like the, the slides that they used to have for the fire exit, things like that. And yeah, this stuff would cost money. But again, these are all all, all different options. And, you know, for those of us that carry guns to defend ourselves, we don't carry single-shot firearms. A lot of us, you know, and, and we don't think that the only plan is that I will stand up tall and straight and I will just shoot back. We have other options. We have, well, if I can run away, I'll do that. If I can't, I'll get behind cover. If I can't do that... I'll go forward from them, but I'll have plans and I'll have this stuff thought out. And what I will do is I will discard the stuff that is fanciful and I will discard the things that will not work. And I can figure out and I can know what will and won't work without me having to be in a, in a firefight and being shot at because guess what? There's already other people who have been in those situations. And I can learn from them and I can take what they went through and I can apply it to myself so that I don't have to go through the exact same thing that they did. I don't have to have the failures that they had. I can have the success that they had. Again, I think another thing that you know could be done and that teachers would not object to, that the administrators couldn't object to, is that you need to, again, get the kids out, get them away from the shooter so that if there are local businesses or if you have a home, two or three homes of parents that are nearby that can be a rally point and that the kids can go to, you know, that those are all things, all options that could happen. All right, let's go ahead and we'll go ahead and get off that speech and let's talk a little bit about what I think is going to happen as far as future legislation. So will there be legislation? Will things remain the same? Uh, what is, what's going to be the worst case? What's going to be the best case? And what will be 
uh, for lack of a better term, the reality case. So what's really going to, do I think is really going to happen? And of course, this stuff is all going to be, uh, again, my opinion on what I, what I think is going to happen. Also, what I'll do during the course of this part of the discussion is I'm going to play some audio that I, I stripped off of YouTube uh, of Diane Feinstein. And the reason I'm playing her is because she is sort of the tip of the spear for reintroducing bans and introducing new legislation. So before we jump in and, and, and talk about a lot of that stuff, one of the things that I think is going to happen, and, and you're sort of seeing this already, is that the gun banners are throwing out everything. They're putting everything out there, every outlandish thing they have and, and everything they ever wanted. They're going to say, this is what we're going to do and this is what we're going to call for. And they're going to sort of do, it's not really a bait and switch, but something sort of like that. Right now, they're, they're openly talking about confiscation. They're talking about forced buybacks. They're talking about doing door-to-door uh, uh, um, -door searches. And I think what they're doing right now is they're throwing out everything. So it's like if you asked for a million dollars, if somebody is asking, so they're saying, well, we want a million dollars. And you're going to give them a hundred thousand, and they'll be happy with that, because before you were going to give them zero. So again, they're going. You're going to hear a lot of talk and a lot of things that they know that they don't really have any hope of getting. But if they say we want forced confiscation, and we want forced buybacks, you're going to be happy with registering your gun. You're going to be happy with having to have a. a well, I shouldn't say happy. But you're going to breathe a sigh of relief, like, ooh, man, if all I've got to do is, is have a special permit, okay, I can get it, but I can still keep it, right? When what you should be doing is saying, no, I'm not going to get a special permit. I'm not going to pay a tax. I didn't do anything wrong. But that's not the strategy that they're going for. And I think they're, they're going to use the strategy because it's sort of tried and true. So in the worst-case scenario... What I think would happen would be a total ban of all semiotics, semi-automatics, excuse me. I think you would have a ban, of course, that would mean AR-15s, AK-47s, 1022s, um, so 22 rifles, and it would go across all calibers, everything. And this, again, would be a worst-case scenario. It would also include handguns. All handguns, both semi-auto and revolvers would be gone. And, and again, this would be the worst case semi uh, uh, um, worst case scenario. Also, they would basically say we're going to go through, and unless we think you have a legitimate, valid reason for having a concealed carry permit, we're going to take those away. Is that stuff going to happen? Uh, I don't know. Uh, also, in a worst case scenario. Again, I wouldn't really talk about like ammunition bans and things like that because they would just take all the guns away. Um, 
in a best case scenario for us, what we would see is actual legitimate discussion and legitimate workable plans for schools to make the schools safer. We wouldn't see bans. We wouldn't see uh, bans on ammunition. We wouldn't see bans on magazines. We wouldn't see bans on certain firearms. They would say, look, we've, we, we've, we can look at the data in the past and we can know that bans didn't do anything. And in fact, when we look at bans in D.C. and in Chicago and in places like California where there's lots of restrictions, what we see is massive crime. When we look at other countries, what we see is when you take away the individual's right to defend themselves, which is really what you're doing, you're just taking away an object. But what you're really doing is saying you do not have the right to defend yourself and that violence is the purview of the state. And when they do that, what you see is crime goes up. Murder goes up and home invasions go up, robberies go up, rapes go up, everything goes up. Again, the best case scenario for us isn't going to happen. And, and for us, really, the best case scenario, quite frankly, would be that everything remains the same. But now let's talk about the reality case scenario, the reality of what I think is going to happen, what I think will happen. I do think that there are going to be new, some new restrictions. What those things are going to be, I don't know. Many people believe that there will be another assault weapons ban. I don't know if that's going to happen. Uh, let me go ahead and, and I'm going to go ahead and play some of those clips now. And uh, I'll probably play one, then talk about it, play one, and then talk about it. I've got about three that I'm going to go ahead and play. You never want a serious crisis to go to waste. And what I mean by that, it's an opportunity to do things that you think you could not do before. There's some sense that the president has so many crisis issues on his plate right now um, that the idea of bringing up guns, which is considered part of the culture wars, would be such a diversion. I agree with you. I wouldn't bring it up now. So you're going to hold off. That's correct. And, you, and I'll you, pick the time and the place. No question about that. Has the president failed to lead on this sentence? Well, I'm not going to comment on that. I can tell you that he is going to have a bill to lead on because it's a first day bill I'm going to introduce in the Senate and the same bill will be introduced in the House, uh, a bill uh, to ban assault weapons. Uh, it will ban the sale, the transfer, the importation uh, and the possession, not retroactively, but prospectively. And it will ban the same for big clips, drums, or strips of more than 10 bullets. So there will be a bill. We've been working on it now for a year. We've tried to take my bill from 94 to 2004 and perfect it. We believe we have. We exempt over 900 specific weapons that will not be uh, fall under the bill. But the purpose of this bill is to get just what Mayor Bloomberg said, weapons of war off the streets of our city. What makes you think it can pass now? <clears throat> We've had tragedies before and nothing happens. Well, I'll tell you what happened back in 93 when I told Joe 
Joe Biden, who was chairman of the Judiciary Committee, that I was going to move this as an amendment on the crime bill. He laughed at me. He said, you're new here. Wait till you learn. And uh, we got it through the Senate. We got it through the House. The White House came alive in the House of Representatives. And the Clinton administration helped. The bill was passed and the president signed it. It can be done. Senator, we're having a little problem with your microphone, which we'll remedy as we continue our conversation. That was audio taken from a Meet the Press interview that Diane Feinstein was on. Let's go over some of the things that she talked about. And we'll be brief because we'll, we'll cover some of this stuff again after uh, the next couple of, of uh, audio clips. Basically what she said was that the, uh, the ban would be on assault weapons. I, we're not sure, at least I'm not sure, what exactly that means. That it would be a ban on the sale the transfer, the importation, and the possession, not retroactively, but prospectively, meaning future ownership, of, uh, again, assault weapons, of big clips, I'm not sure what big means, uh, drums or strips, basically anything over 10 rounds. Uh, She also said that 900 firearms won't fall under the ban. When we look at things like banning the possession, that can be kind of a a slippery slope. Does that mean then that if I owned, let's say, an AR-15, and you went to the range with me, but you're not the owner of that, can I then let you shoot it? Because if I let you shoot it, you would be in possession of it. So I would think that under the strictest interpretation of that law that only the owner would be able to shoot it. Meaning if somebody broke into your house and you owned the gun and your wife picked it up or your daughter picked it up or your son and shot the guy, would he be guilty of, a, which I'm sure is probably going to be some type of a felony, for defending his family? or her family, as the case may have it. And like I said, I'm not going to go too in-depth with some of this stuff, but uh, let's go ahead and play the next clip. And this is from uh, the PBS NewsHour. There's quite a bit here. This is a little bit longer clip. It's uh, almost eight minutes long, but I, I think it, it gives you a, a perspective of it. Also, what I would like you to do is to go over to the website, which is firearmscafe.com, and you can click on the, uh, the links that I've provided to these videos, and especially on this one, the PBS video. When she first starts talking, just the glee and the joy in her eyes that she's going to get to push this legislation through, and in her mind, it's going to pass. Uh, so let's go ahead and give that a listen. In the wake of the shootings, the debate in Washington turned immediately to how and whether new limits on gun ownership can and should be enacted. Democratic Senator Dianne Feinstein of California has pledged to revive a law banning assault weapons. She's chairwoman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, and she joins us now. Welcome, Senator. Thank you very much. With half of the members of the Senate getting an A rating from the National Rifle Association, do you have any sense that things will be different now for the assault weapons ban than it has been in the past? Well, I have every sense that it's an uphill road, 
It was in the past when we did it in the past. Uh, I, I wrote that bill. My office wrote that bill. Uh, it went through. It was not amended. It went through the Senate, the House. It was signed by the president. And it was the law for 10 years. I think what's unique about this is it's really just one class of gun, the assault weapon. The assault weapon is developed for military purposes to kill in close combat. And um, it doesn't belong in the streets of our cities. And it doesn't belong where it can be picked up easily by a grievance killer who can walk into a workplace, a mall, a theater, and now a, an elementary school and kill large numbers. Explain to our viewers how what you are planning to introduce would have changed what happened in Newtown, Connecticut. Well, over time, that, that weapon would be much less available. What we're trying to do is ban uh, the sale, the manufacture, the transfer, the importation of assault weapons. And it gets quite technical, and I won't go into that right now. Grandfather weapons that people already have, subject those weapons either to licensing or to a trigger lock, and spell out those grandfathered weapons, which would be over 900 in the bill. So nobody can say, oh, we took our, their hunting weapon away. Then I'd be able to say, here's your hunting weapon. It's specifically exempted uh, in the bill. So we're talking about prospective law, not one dating That's right. to the law to the That's guns right. people already own. It would ban approximately 100 weapons. Uh, by actual name, and then weapons by physical characteristics. Let's talk about the politics of all of this. Today we saw three pro-gun rights Democratic senators, Senator Reed, Senator Manchin, Senator Warner, all say that what happened in Newtown, Connecticut has changed everything. Do you have a sense that there's a shift underway? Oh, yes. I think this is the straw that broke the camel's back, to be very honest with you, Gwen. I don't see how Americans can want you know, a situation where a 20-year-old gets a gun from his mother, kills his mother, goes into a school, shoots his way through the glass, goes in and puts three to 11 bullets in six-year-olds, 20 of them. Now, if you just do an average of six bullet, or five bullets, that's 100 bullets. Um, so it's the big clip, drum, or strip that is also banned from uh, sale, uh, manufacture, importation, transfer. So it's the clip that enables you to have the firepower. And I gather this particular Bushmaster, you can actually sort of dial down the ease with which you pull the trigger mm -hmm. and its frequency. So you can just pump those bullets out in a very few seconds. Do you, have you gotten any sense of a change of heart among Republican members of the Senate? I haven't had a chance to talk to Republicans. I certainly will be doing that. Um, I've really kind of been busy just fielding calls, which is unusual. Some 20 calls to my house yesterday at home and calls today from members of the House and others that, that want to help with this. And you called the White House today to talk to the president. Yeah. Has that conversation happened? And no, do you believe no. They'll support you on this. I haven't gotten a call back, but I will be persistent. I'm trying now to call his chief of staff to say, please, may I speak with the president briefly? You, uh, gun control activists have said that they believe that the president's first term was a failure, and people 
who are gun rights activists, have said that the president wants to legislate the Second Amendment out of existence, which is true or is neither true? Oh, neither is true. I think the president now has an open mind, at least I hope he has. I think the fact that I've authored something before, which became the law, hopefully will have some credibility with him. And we're very happy to sit down with his staff, which is what I want to offer, to go over the specifics of the legislation, options, and get his views. I'd like to do that sooner rather than later. Uh, because we're working with others. I want to work with members uh, in this body, members in the other body, and try to see that by the beginning of the year, we've got something where there is some very good support. What do you say to people who support the, the right to own arms, that this is the camel's nose under the tent, and the next thing you'll be after concealed carry weapons, you'll be after other kinds of uh, gun rights? Well, that's just not true. It wasn't true with the prior bill that was the law for 10 years. And I just think, candidly, uh, that dog doesn't hunt. Why shouldn't it be true? Why wouldn't you want to go after those other laws? Because that's not what I've done in the past, and it's not what I'm doing right now. How much, uh, do, or as we have this debate now, how much are we focusing on guns, and how much are we focusing, or should we be focusing, on the things that drive people to use guns in these horrific ways? Well, I think you, you, you concentrate on both. You concentrate on mental illness and what we can do. Uh, you, you concentrate uh, on safety and schools and those kinds of things. But small children have a basic right to go to a school and feel safe. And these guns, because they kill large numbers of people very quickly, they aren't used for hunting, they aren't hunting weapons, you don't need them for defense. They are military-style weapons, and they don't belong in the streets of our cities or our towns. And finally, Senator Feinstein, we have been here before. The president has, as he said last night, has spoken at four different memorial services for shooting victims since he's been president. And each time there's been discussion that this is the moment, especially after a congresswoman was shot, this is the moment when everything will change. Why is this the moment? Well, this is the moment because I think people have had it. They have had it in fear. Uh, you know, look at Aurora. That man came in with a hundred round clip excuse me, drum. If that drum hadn't jammed, he would have killed many more people. Look at Virginia Tech. Look at Jonestown. Look at Jonesboro, rather. Look at Columbine. Look at what's been happening. It's got to stop. Our schools have to be safe places. These guns are the guns that the grievance killers, that gangs, uh, that people who want to do real damage look for and find very easy to obtain in our society. And we need to change that, and that's what I'm trying to do. Senator Dine Feinstein, Democrat of California, thank you so thank much. Thank you, Gwen. An administration official told the NewsHour today that the, the president began talking with White House staff, the vice president, and some members of the cabinet about ways the country can respond to the tragedy in Newtown. All right. Again, uh, some of the same stuff we'll cover from the last clip, but basically the one thing that she she didn't mention in the um, Meet the Press clip that she's mentioned this one, she says that it's going to be an assault weapon ban. It will ban the sale, the manufacture. Now, she hadn't said anything before about the manufacture. The transfer and the importation. 
of any of the assault weapons. So uh, previous things, of course, previous owners would be grandfathered in. She talked about things like that would be subject to licensing or a trigger lock. Now, I don't understand what trigger lock means or what she means by that. Also, what does she mean by licensing? Does that mean that an AR-15 or an AK-47 now becomes something like a Class Three weapon where you have to pay a fee, a, tra- a, a, a excuse me, a, a tax, get a tax stamp for it? The things that, that are coming back up is, again, you're not going to be able to transfer. You're not going to be able, they won't be able to be sold anymore in this country, not just by you, but by gun stores. Um, what she's not talking, what, what she's not really talking about is, are they going to do a thing of, are they going to say anything manufactured you can only well, let me rephrase it. You can only have something that was manufactured prior to, let's say, um, December of 2013, or will it be you know anything that uh, because what's going to happen is there's there's going to be stuff that's already made and, and, and is getting made. So I think what they're probably going to do is if they get it the way they want it, is they would have to have some type of future date where they would have to have it cut off. They couldn't just say effective today. Well, I, I suppose they could, but I think what will happen is they would say, again, you know, maybe um, anything, you know, prior to January 1st of 2014 or something like that. What she also talked about in this one that she didn't say before was that even the, uh, which I guess was, was how the, the, uh, uh, the prior ban was, is it also includes the magazine. So you can't sell, manufacture, transfer, or import any of them. Uh, she didn't call the magazine. She just said drums or clips. Uh, you know, she's fascinated, or not fascinated, she is uh, stuck on the word clips. And you would think if you're going to ban something, you would at least have the common decency to learn the correct terminology. She mentioned a lot of stuff about hunting, uh, saying that this isn't going to do anything against your hunting rifles. Um, she said that these are military-style s- weapons. So she's not even saying that they're military weapons. And you have to listen very carefully to what these people are saying. Because their words have their words have meaning. Um, and, it, you know, it's like Clinton back in the day saying it depends on what your definition of is is. She talked about that they're not needed, that people don't use things like AR-15s or assault weapons or AK-47s for hunting. Well, And that's, that's clearly not true. Many people use them for varmint hunting. Many people use them for deer hunting, uh, especially the AK, because it's a bigger round. You can, you can hunt a little bit larger sized deer. But a lot of people will use the 223 for small deer. They'll use them for coyotes, for predator hunting. They use them, uh, right now, there's a lot of people that use them for hog hunting. Uh, and that use both the AK and use the uh, AR-15 for that. So uh, to say that, that those things aren't hunting weapons is, is ridiculous. She also said that they are, they're not needed for defense. Well... Again, 
it def- it's, a, it's, a, it's a statement that defies logic because if you said, well, it's not a good defensive weapon, meaning that if somebody was attacking you, vis-a-vis, let's say the, the military, you're in the military and somebody is attacking you and you're trying to defend your position, the caliber is the same. Rate of fire is, is actually slower. Uh, but basically it's the same thing that the military uses. So if they're not good for defense, why does the military use them? Also, one thing she doesn't talk about is if these things shouldn't be on our streets, are the police going to have their uh, their uh, AR-15s taken away? If they're no good for defense, why should the police have them? She's also stated that she wants the ban to be sooner rather than later. Which tells you that that uh, again, like we played in the front of the very uh, front of the clip, was that uh, you had Rahm Emanuel saying that you don't let a crisis go to waste, meaning that you push through things that you don't think you could otherwise get. So she wants to have this thing pushed through relatively fast because she doesn't want people to get away from the emotional argument, and she doesn't want people to say, "Well, well wait a minute." Let's look at the facts. Let's look at the prior ban. Did that do anything? And it was for 10 years, and the answer is no, it did nothing. If you're banning these things, but you're not going to take away, you're not going to confiscate the things that are out there now, well, how many things are out? How many rifles are actually out there now that we know of? And how long will it take? How many years will it take? Now let's say that you cannot you cannot sell or transfer is there any is there anything in there about trusts because a lot of times the trust you'll have maybe a new trustee the trust owns it the trust is an entity it's you know like I said corporations are people now so the if you have a trust and what a lot of people do that own actually fully automatic weapons is they have them in a trust and they name several people on that trust. And then as time goes on, so let's say that if if your grandfather had some uh, fully auto weapons and he put your parents on the trust and then you're, as you've come into age, now you're made one of the trustees. And as he dies, basically the trust is what owns the thing. So there, in theory, there is no transfer of ownership. There is no... Um, uh, possession by you, the trustee, you all have the ability to use and to possess it, whatever's in the trust. So I don't know how, if they'll do that or not. Probably not because they're going to want to have some, you know, wiggle room for themselves later on down the road, maybe. Um, because believe me, if this stuff is passed, these guys, the, the people that are in power, they're not subject to it. They're above all these laws and they're not going to apply to them at all. Um, I thought that the interviewer did a very good job of asking questions like, well, what is, is this band going to do anything? How is it going to prevent anything in the future? And then she says, well, over time. And that's what I was talking about before. Well, how much time is it has to go by? If you have a guy who's 22 right now, okay. And you have a guy who's 52 or even 60. 
if that guy who if if, if both of those guys are going to live into their 80s it's 20 years for another dude and it's 60 years for that 22 year old guy and again you know there's there's probably 2 or 3 million at at the very least 2 or 3 million AR15s out there and probably just as many AK47s I don't know how many thousands of uh, of, of other of other uh, platforms are out there. Maybe you know if you look at like uh, some of the uh, the FNs, uh, if you look at uh, what is it the FS two thousand things like that. How many of those are out there? How many um, semi-auto Uzis are out there? How you know how many things like the bigger things like the FALs? Uh, how many you know those type of big battle rifles? Is that now the grand takes? I think is an eight-round clip, but are they gonna are they gonna name that as a special special thing, and say that, uh, and it actually uses a clip, um, that the grand will, will be one of those things that'll be subject to that as well. Uh, they'll say, well, most of it's only supposed to be, you know, ten round. Now, I know I'm kind of rambling, but I've got so much things kind of going in my head, so please forgive me. The one of the things you have to understand, and one of the things she said was that it is the clip, it's the big clip that enables firepower. Those are her words. I know it's a magazine. So, what she's saying is, is that during the reload, that's that somebody can't reload a 10 round magazine. That somebody, even with a 1911, now she's not saying these exact things, but the the implication of what she's saying is that if somebody had a revolver or if somebody had a, a 1911 that only held, let's say, seven rounds, that they couldn't reload that fast enough to kill all those people that have been killed in these shootings. Which is, again, which is totally ridiculous. Even if all you had was a five-shot revolver, you can train with them and practice with them to where you can load them relatively fast. So, um, I've got one other clip, audio clip. Uh I'm saying clip. I've got one other audio clip that I'll play for you guys. And this was her back in 1995 and I want you to pay attention and I'll talk about a couple of things but I want you to listen very carefully to what she's saying personal anecdote about terrorism because less than 20 years ago I was the target of a terrorist group it was the New World Liberation Front they blew up um, power stations and put a bomb at my home when my husband was dying of cancer and the bomb was set to detonate around two o'clock in the morning but it was a construction explosive that doesn't detonate when it drops below freezing it doesn't usually freeze in san francisco but on this night it dropped below freezing and the bomb didn't detonate i was very lucky but i thought of what might have happened later the same group shot out all the windows of my home and i know the sense of helplessness that people feel. I know the urge to arm yourself because that's what I did. I was trained in firearms. I'd walk to the hospital when my husband was sick. 
I carried a concealed weapon. And I made the determination that if somebody was going to try to take me out, I was going to take them with me. Now, having said all of that, that was a period of time ago. And I've watched for these 20 years as terrorism has increased, both on the far extremist left and the far extremist right in this country. The last audio clip that you heard came on April 27th, 1995, and this is shortly after the Oklahoma City bombings. And she's relating a story that uh, earlier, a few years earlier, she understood about terrorism because she had uh, been, her and her family had been under attack and they had tried to bomb her, they had tried to shoot out the windows. And she said she knew what it felt like to be helpless. She knew that she had to do something, which implies basically that she knows that ultimately she's responsible for her own protection and the protection of her family. That if something happens, she needs to be able to protect herself right then and, and, and right there. She needs to do it now. And so she said she got a gun, she got training, and she carried concealed. Pay attention to the fact that she said that she walked to the hospital when she would go to visit her husband. If she's walking, she doesn't have a car to lock the gun up. So if she's carrying concealed, the implication again is that she took that firearm obviously loaded, into the hospital with her. I don't know if at that time, and I'm not exactly sure when the events, when she actually carried it. I don't know what, what the time is on that. It sounds like what she was saying was that 15 to 20 years earlier or so, you know, anywhere between 15 to 20 years earlier. So we've been looking about maybe about 1980-ish. In California, was there concealed carry available to the public? Was she um, was she violating any laws that were on the books at that time if she in fact did take a firearm into the hospital? And, and again, the question the, the big question to ask is at that time, could you carry concealed? as a uh, just a regular private citizen. Now, the, the thing that she said back in 95 was that she understood that terrorism has gotten worse. And I think if you talk to her today, she'd probably say the same thing. So during the midst of, of everything getting worse, she's saying that we need to take away the best defensive tools that we could possibly that we can possibly own right now as civilians. Again, the reason you want an assault rifle is is well, you're not going to get an assault rifle, but unless you've got a lot of money, the reason you want an AR-15 or an AK-47 is because they are very, very effective at stopping somebody from hurting you. Again, I would invite you guys to go back, go over to the website, click on the links, and watch the videos for yourself so that you can see them in context. You can see their expressions, what they're doing, that type of thing. Her expressions, excuse me. Let's go ahead and talk about what I think is going to happen as far as a ban. 
I think pretty much the things that she has said, maybe a little tweaks here and there, she's going to get. I think that there will be a, quote, assault weapons ban, unquote, which means AR-15s, AK-47s, and certain rifles that have certain characteristics, if they're able to take a, a box magazine, I think those things are going to be banned. I think that they're going to ban high, what they call high-capacity magazines, so anything over 10 rounds. This is not only going to be uh, for rifles, but for handguns as well. And I think it's going to go across caliber. Uh, it used to be that the 22 was kind of exempt. I don't think it's going to be anymore. Um, I don't think they're going to push for, at least right now, they're not going to try and do things like ammunition caliber restriction, meaning you couldn't have anything over a 380. Uh, I, I don't think that they'll do that. I think, much like the last time, back in 94, it will get pushed through. I don't know if there will be a sunset. Many people out there say there will be no sunset clause. I think they may have to compromise on that. And they may have to, but they may, it may be a 20 year ban. I don't know. Um, I, I do, I do really believe though a ban is coming. And I think what's going to happen is shortly after the ban, there's going to be another school shooting because they didn't have the political courage and will to arm the teachers. Take that for whatever you mean. Whether uh, we, we talked about before, it can be guns. It can be guns that fire less than lethal ammunition. It could be tasers. It could be some form of chemical spray. It could be um, stun guns, body armor, things of that nature, uh, off-duty off police or trained volunteers from the community in the schools. I don't think any of that stuff is going to happen. And when the next shooting happens, what they're going to do is if, if the ban is in place, what they'll do is they'll say, well, it's because all this stuff was grandfathered and we need to turn those in. When they talked about, she talked about licensing. And like I said, I don't know what that means. Uh, it, it may not come this time around, but the next time there's something, they may say, look, they've all got to be registered. Whether they're grandfathered or not, you've got to come in and you've got to register them with, a, with your police department. And then when the next shooting after that happens, they're going to come and they'll round them up. And that's when you'll see like door-to-door -door forced, you'll probably see before that you would see like a forced buyback. And then you would have a certain amount of time where they'd be willing to give you money. And then after that, they would say, um, you got to turn them in. Uh, at that point, I don't know what's going to happen in this country. We've... We've fallen very, very far in a lot of ways. We've risen very high in other ways, but we have fallen very, very far in many ways and become really, truly a nanny state and a fascist state and a state where the Constitution really doesn't mean anything. If you look at the NDAA, if you look at the TSA, if you look at the assaults on, on the Bill of Rights, the constant assaults on there, 
it boggles the mind how far we've fallen. So anyway, that's uh, kind of my my thoughts on it. Um, I'm not sure what's going to happen. Uh, I think there will be a fight. Ultimately, though, I do think some stuff will come down. We'll just kind of have to wait and see. I would love to get your guys' thoughts on that, on, on the stuff we've talked about today. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, go over to the website and you can contact me or you can send me an email or your own audio recordings uh, like I mentioned at the start of the show. All right, guys, I will talk to you next time. Take care. Here we go. One step at a time, don't be living on the line. I don't need a friend, I got more than on the mind. Sunshine in my brain, making everyone complain. Radio in the heart, don't be being so strange. Think I'm losing it, baby, where you been? Everybody says that you're moving again. I don't want to be right, baby, every single night.